Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Christian Pareda, who is an associate at Maynard, who specializes in bankruptcy. So, Christian, tell us, what, what made you decide to get into law? Well, um, I, uh, I graduated from college with a degree in philosophy, and there weren't many uh, opportunities for philosophers. <laughs> I took a gap year before law school. Um, I'd always thought that I wanted to be a lawyer, probably since I was 11 years old. And um, I worked for AT&T for a year, and I found that selling cell phones was not my life's calling. And so I decided to go back to school. Uh, I went to the University of Alabama School of Law. And um, uh, while I was there, I worked for a law firm in Tuscaloosa, which is where the university is. And the uh, the first assignment I was given was a bankruptcy-related assignment. And it was uh, in connection with an involuntary Chapter 11 filing against a company that owns several cemeteries and funeral homes across the state of Alabama. Uh, some people have been using that entity as their personal piggy bank, and my job was to recommend uh, criminal charges to be brought against the proprietors of that entity uh, by the uh, Tuscaloosa County District Attorney's Office. And that kind of opened my eyes and opened my mind to the, uh, the broad and uh, almost unlimited number of factual and legal scenarios that can lead to uh, an insolvency and a bankruptcy, and I've just kind of been hooked ever since, and that's how I got into into my niche. Wow, that's 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 a big case to get to to get into and and really find find your home and what you want to do there. Um, there's many different types of of bankruptcy. Can you do the kind of the 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 one minute synopsis of of what there is? Yes, sure. So. In a nutshell, at least with respect to uh, the business context or the commercial context, there's really two distinct kinds of bankruptcy that that, that can be discussed. And uh, what's often referred to as a distinction between liquidation and reorganization, I would say is more aptly described as a distinction between loss of control and retention of control. Mm-hmm. So the the two kinds of bankruptcy generally 
uh, in the commercial context are Chapter 7, a liquidation proceeding in which control over the assets of the bankrupt entity is lost and it's vested into a bankruptcy trustee who liquidates those assets for the benefit of creditors and distributes them pro rata or a Chapter 11. And in Chapter 11, the debtor retains control of its assets and affairs subject to all the responsibilities that a trustee in bankruptcy would have while exercising all the powers and obligations that, that trustee would have. So you have the distinction really between whether you retain control or lose control. You lose control in the Chapter 7 context, which is the more traditional context that people are more familiar with and which is much more common in an individual bankruptcy situation. And then you have a Chapter 11 context, which is where historically it was intended uh, for a entity, a business, to try to reorganize and produce what's called a Chapter 11 plan of reorganization uh, that restructures the debt obligations of the debtor to preserve the going concern value of the enterprise, and then on the back end, come out as uh, with a fresh start as a new entity, effectively, a reorganized debtor. But increasingly, that um, Chapter 11 uh, process has been used to do things like uh, remove liens from valuable assets and completely liquidate a business, uh, but preserving the going concern value of the enterprise using some of the various tools uh, that the quiver of the bankruptcy code provides bankruptcy lawyers. So you're talking about that. It's like, okay, giving up control versus, you know, kind of doing doing the, the restructure side of things. Uh, you know, the restructure side is, hey, I want to keep the business. I'm going to try to fix this and, and can you continue going forward. And the, the liquidation is almost here's the keys, I'm out, you know, type thing. From a, a creditor side on, on those, which one seems to be more, you know, more beneficial? Is it the, you know, the, the reorganization because hopefully I'm going to get paid 100% on, on my dollar or, you know, the liquidation? Which one do you have a better chance of recovery in? It really depends. And it depends on your relationship with the debtor. So um, let's let's look at this from a few different uh, hypothetical scenarios. It'll be easier to explain if we have um, if we have a scenario where you can actually imagine what might be happening. So let's say you've got a debtor entity, and that debtor entity is a mid market manufacturer that supplies uh, steel components for a down-the-line manufacturer that makes widgets for a, a car company, for example. Just, just some, this is a factual scenario that has arisen pretty frequently in the wake of the pandemic with all the supply chain issues, sure. as you can imagine, uh, that have been uh, uh, a real problem for the global economy lately. So you've got this, this steel producer. They're unable to meet their debts as they become due. You, the, your your business is doing just fine, except that you're having trouble getting timely uh, supplies from this bankrupt, potentially insolvent uh, customer or supplier of yours. You might prefer that this business reorganize, even if it means you take a greater haircut than you would receive in a pure liquidation, because your business relies on continuing to receive these supplies that this debtor is providing. And Chapter 11 might provide a mechanism for them to survive or in the alternative to that entity surviving, 
sell their assets free and clear of the burdens that claims like you uh, are asserting against their assets would put on them, such that you have then a new business partner to buy supplies from on the backside. Now, that's in terms of dollars and cents as to what you are going to maximize in terms of your recovery. Uh, generally speaking, uh, you're going to see um, pennies on the dollar uh, in either scenario unless you have uh, a security interest or unless you are uh, have a priority claim. Now, in bankruptcy, distributions are made in a similar way to any other liquidation or exit from a corporation or an LLC. There's a waterfall, right? So equity doesn't get anything until all creditors are repaid. Mm -hmm. General unsecured creditors don't get anything until uh, all admi administrative expense priority claims are paid. That's just, it's a, it's a term that Congress has created. It's a category of creditors that Congress has created where Congress says these debts for these kinds of things are entitled to getting paid before everyone else. Okay. But even those creditors only get paid if secured creditors have gotten paid to the extent of the value of the collateral that secures their claim. So you got, you got a company that's a real estate holding company and their only asset is a warehouse. Nobody gets paid unless the mortgage lender gets paid their debt up to the value of the warehouse on the date of the petition. If, if that, if that property is underwater, oh, well, no one gets paid. Uh, and that's just, uh, that's just the way it is. But there's all sorts of ways, um, there's all sorts of considerations that, that people dealing with insolvencies need to keep in mind because you just by simply the virtue of doing business with an entity that goes into bankruptcy, you are potentially uh, subject to exposure uh, simply for having dealt with them in, for example, the 90 days preceding their bankruptcy filing. If you receive or any payment from that debtor and then they file bankruptcy, Two years down the line, you could be getting a call from a liquidating trustee or a bankruptcy trustee asking you to return the, that payment. And you may say, oh, but I provided goods to this company. Well, that doesn't necessarily matter. There's all sorts of complicating factors that, can, uh, that courts would have to decide on, but that's called a preferential transfer. And that's one of the, one of the issues uh, that you have to deal with whenever you're dealing with a, a bankrupt entity or an insolvent entity. So if... In that situation, let's say that I unknowingly start doing business with someone who has filed bankruptcy, and I don't know about it because I didn't do my due diligence on, you know, this person, and I'm going to start buying these widgets from, um, and or or me selling something to them, and I don't know this. But I'm within that 90 days. Does that make a difference? So I've never done business with them. They've claimed bankruptcy. And within that 90 days, I've started doing business with them. And, you know, they're paying me. Are they still able to come back and get, get me for the preferential uh, transfer? So let me, let me make sure I, I make this very clear. I, I might have been a little bit, um, uh, a little bit vague or ambiguous there. So, we're talking about the 90-day period before the bankruptcy is filed. Okay. So if you're doing business with a debtor that's in bankruptcy, you actually are entitled to much greater protections than uh, the creditors who are uh, owed obligations that are pre-petitioned. 
So the debtor, that's one of the distinctions between a Chapter 7 bankruptcy where we talked about earlier. You hand over the keys and the trustee liquidates everything and it goes forward. Whereas a Chapter 11, you hold on to the keys, you try to get to the end of the road, but sometimes you have to hand the keys over to someone else who buys a car from you, right? right. Well, um, in the scenario where you're doing business with a debtor who still has the keys, they're still operating the car, well, they get to continue doing business in the ordinary course. And you may um, – you may find that they are un, more, they are less likely to pay your bills than, than other businesses. I mean, they are in bankruptcy after all. But you're not subject to the same exposure as someone who was doing business with a bankrupt debtor before they entered bankruptcy. Because the, the, the issue is Congress has decided that they, what, what bankruptcy really does is it presses a pause button. It presses a pause on all the efforts to collect debt from the debtor to enforce its obligation, and it gives it a breathing spell to have an orderly process where all the pre-petition claims are addressed, and they get a fresh start on the back end. So, so you have a lawsuit pending against uh, a customer of yours who hasn't paid you in a while. When they, if they file a bankruptcy petition, you have to stop pursuing that customer. You have to stop pursuing them immediately, and your only recourse is a claim against their bankruptcy estate on account of payment of that pre-petition claim. So if you had received a payment in the 90 days before the bankruptcy was filed, then there is an argument that you received what's called a preferential transfer. You're, you have defenses to that. You can, you can assert what's called a new value defense for um, providing new value in exchange for that transfer. But you have to assert it as an affirmative defense, which means you have to engage with an attorney, which means the attorney has to engage in negotiations. And likely, even if you have a purely meritorious defense and there's, and there's no merit to the claim, you're still likely going to have to pay a nuisance value to settle it. Unfortunately, that's, that's the economic reality of the situation. But with respect to doing business with a Chapter 11 debtor who is actually successfully reorganizing, it's effectively like doing business with any other company. And they have the authority to enter into binding contracts, and provided that they successfully reorganize, then you're going to be treated just like any other uh, any other third-party relationship with any other uh, uh, company in in the market in the industry. It's not, of course, your your risk analysis should be affected. Your due diligence, if you have done it, <laughs> should be affected because you should know that this is a Chapter 11 debtor. Um, but uh, in terms of potentially having your payments clawed back that have received that were, were received post petition, that's not something that you need to be concerned about. Okay. What about if you know I've been doing business with this person for a while, um, they're behind on paying me, so forth and so on, and I put them on COD, and mm -hmm. you know, so now it, this is been going on for whatever, however long, doesn't make any difference. And then I find out after the fact that now they've claimed bankruptcy. So I'm in that initial 90 days that you're talking about. If it's COD, not the backstop, but whatever they're buying from me currently, are they able to, is a trustee able to claw that back? So that's the exact scenario that Congress intended to, to capture with the preferential transfer provisions of the bankruptcy code. So, yes, 
okay. they're going to be able, they're almost certainly going to be able to, to claw that back. Let's say if you've had a, a multi-year relationship and it's always been net 90 terms or, or net 30 terms, and then in the last year of the relationship, you start noticing that payment is coming later and later and later. You tighten the screws. You say, okay, you're going to get more materials from me. You're going to have to pay upon delivery or a pickup. We're just not going to do business unless you do that. The debtor does that, and then 90 days, and then for all the COD payments made in the 90 days before they file bankruptcy, those are almost certainly going to be subject to preferential avoidance. And that's, that's, that's the theory. But um, at the same time, I always advise my clients um, that uh, they need to be taking those precautions and protecting themselves because at the same time, uh, you would rather be in the position of having been paid and the debtor be attempting to claw back some payments that you've already received than to be in the position of holding a large bag sure. that is entitled to receiving pennies on the dollar in distributions from the estate. Right, right, yeah, definitely. Um, now, if, if someone's in bankruptcy, you know, they've already de declared they're doing the reorganization, and then I start doing business with them after the fact. Are they required to tell me that they're in bankruptcy? There, there's no requirement that they tell you, but um, you would, uh, it's public record, you'd be able to find it. Um, you could, you could Google the name of the business, and if it's a larger business, you're going to, it's going to show up on Google search results. Right. But um, the, the the surefire way um, to know whether or not they are an entity in bankruptcy, um, well, first of all, if they're an entity that's got a trustee that's controlling it, right, or if it's an individual who has filed a Chapter Seven uh, bankruptcy. Then on the back end, you, you on the back end of the chapter seven, okay, they're basically just a new person. Their credit's going to be massively affected. It's going to show up on their credit report, of course. But you can continue doing business with them if you make the decision. Your underwriting process approved is in the ordinary course. You can go do business with them. But uh, in terms of discovering whether this entity is in bankruptcy, should not be something that's difficult to find. And you can certainly look. Uh, you can look in what's called the uh, Pacer system. You, there, each each of the 50 states has at least one federal district court within it, and each of the federal district courts has, as an adjunct, as a component part of that court, a bankruptcy court. And you can search the bankruptcy court docket um, publicly and very efficiently, very cheaply. Uh, it's something like $3 is the maximum you'll ever pay for, for a search through PACER. And you can find, has the, you search the name of the entity, have they filed bankruptcy? And that will, those, that, those results will come up. Um, of course, you could retain an attorney who can do that for you and do that search for you. Um, again, Google is uh, usually, even as a bankruptcy attorney, that's my first stop. Because typically, you put in the name of this entity, and Google will tell you not only uh, the Google search results will tell you not just that the debtors in bankruptcy. It'll give you the case docket number, and you can go then look at the docket and see what's happened in the case so far. So, I guess what are some examples if if, if somebody's doing business with somebody that you know 
that's in financial trouble, maybe in bankruptcy, maybe on the verge of bankruptcy. What are some of the signs besides their slow paying? Uh, what are some of the signs that that people should look out for? Yeah, so um, so one of the definitely some of the signs you need to look for are if, if a check is returned for insufficient funds, particularly if that happens more than once. Um, if 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 it's a purchaser and they're increasingly relying on debt to fund their operations, the extent that you can discover that. Um, if they uh, if they're not paying invoices when you think they should have an excess of cash, they're just uh, if, if 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 it appears that their revenue should be sufficient, perhaps it's a sign that they're working with a factor because they can't meet their going concern obligations as income. Mm -hmm. um, if they've had to make a public disclosure, if they're a publicly traded entity and in their um, and in their statements to the SEC, they disclose that there's significant financial problems. Well, that, that's a pretty a pretty dead ringer right there. Um, if it's a corporation that's issued bonds, a bond uh, debt, and there's a, there's a large upcoming principal or interest payment on that bond debt, that's, that's, a, that's a potential warning sign. Um, if uh, they're a supplier, and the quality of the goods that they've been supplying you or the equipment they've been supplying you starts deteriorating. Perhaps that means that they're looking for cheaper uh, sources for their input. That's an indicator that they're not going to, even if they can fiscally meet their payment obligations to you, perhaps you don't want to do business with them anymore because they can't provide you the quality of goods. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've already discussed this, but, but generally it, it, the payments start increasingly becoming later and later. That's 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 a huge red flag. Um, if uh, if if key personnel in the uh, in the in the customer or the supplier resign or are terminated, a CEO or and or a CFO resign in short succession, that's a huge red flag. Um, if uh, if previously uh, a buyer was required to provide financial information and they had always provided financial information to you. And all of a sudden, they no longer provide that information to you. It's probably because they that information would not be favorable, and so right. they don't want to share it. Right. What um, in going through the process of? Um, I mean, again, I know you've said, "Hey, look, you need to to check their their creditworthiness and everything else." What about if? Um, you know, I'm doing business, you know, with you, you're, um, you know, I'm supplying things to you and I get you to personally guarantee something, but your business goes into bankruptcy. Are you truly still personally responsible for it if you didn't sign it as the, the president of the company? So that's actually the most protection that you're going to receive there, Gary. That's That's the best way to actually turn up the pressure and uh, and seek to obtain payment. Now, it's also something that in most cases with most sophisticated uh, uh, counterparties and who have established credit with an entity that's been a going concern for a long time, it's something they're almost certainly not going to provide you. So right. if, I'm, if I've been in business for, for years and my entity – has credit history, and I have unguaranteed um, terms with my vendors, then the only reason why I would ever provide a guarantee 
is if I am absolutely sure that my business is going to be able to, per, to pay that obligation in full, either through revenue generation or from the proceeds of collateral that would be provided in lieu of satisfaction by me individually. I'm, I'm not, I'm simply, I would never personally guarantee something that I didn't think could be paid by the business. I think that's just the, instead you just, you just file, you, 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 you turn, you turn over the keys of the trustee at that point, or, or you do a liquidating plan and you sell it to a third party free and clear of lien claims and encumbrances. But um, if you as a supplier are able to get that personal guarantee, that is an, a very effective strategy um, uh, and way to maximize the probability of repayment. Of course, um, uh, I, I handle forbearance agreements all the time. This is one of the requirements that clients routinely uh, make in those forbearance agreements is in lieu of the immediate prosecution of debt obligations. Uh, we require additional collateral. We require cross-collateralization and cross-default language of all the uh, obligations of related entities to the creditor entity or multiple creditor entities. And we require the principles of the debtor entities to provide personal guarantees to the extent that um, uh, they're willing or able to provide such personal guarantees. And then you go to the same issue that you have with the business itself. It's, the question becomes, well, you had this personal guarantee, but does that, is, is that worth any more than the paper it's printed on, which goes back to your due diligence and your underwriting. Um, if we're talking about a large, sophisticated counterparty who's been in, uh, in an industry for many years, it's likely that the principal has derived quite a bit of value and has their own uh, independent wealth uh, that could potentially be a source of value in repayment. Um, at the same time, there are all sorts of... Uh, of mechanisms that, uh, that, that, that savvy uh, people can use to try to shield their assets such that they're not in their personal name, but that's, that's a separate issue. Right. So Christian, we covered, covered a lot of stuff here quickly. And, and, and again, you know, we could talk about, you know, the bankruptcy and the rights and things like that for, for hours, I'm sure. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I had at this point? Sure. So I guess, um, Two questions. Uh, first is, if I'm a business owner and and my business is struggling, is bankruptcy really just a dead end? Is that is it the end of the line? And I would say I would answer to that, no, it's not. There's all sorts of tools uh, that the bankruptcy code provides you. And um, if you're a small business owner uh, and your your debt obligations are below a certain threshold. Uh, you could qualify for what's called subchapter five of the chapter of chapter 11 of the bankruptcy code. And that allows you to break what's called the, uh, the absolute priority rule, which I'm not going to get into the details of that here, but we talked earlier about the waterfall that bankruptcy requires for people to receive distributions from the bankruptcy estate. Well, in subchapter five, which is the small business reorganization subchapter of, of the bankruptcy code, it provides for the owners to retain equity even though it may create a slight deviation from that absolute priority that the code otherwise provides. Right. So you can maintain ownership, but not pay everyone back in full, which is a really wonderful tool for small business owners to know this isn't the end of the road. We can come up with a plan. We can, we can fix this. We can try to fix this and I don't have to give up everything. And then the second question that I often receive is, well, uh, 
do uh, does bankruptcy really get rid of every debt? Can can someone really just uh, deal in bad faith with me and then walk away forever from their obligations to me? And the answer to that is no. The benefits of bankruptcy are reserved for the honest but unfortunate debtor. So bankruptcy is intended to provide a, a breathing spell and a fresh start. People who truly have tried to deal in good faith with other people, but the for the various uncertainties of life and the economy, they're unable to do so and meet their obligations at the same time to do. Well, if your obligations are incurred for fraud or for willful malicious injury or for certain other um, obligations that Congress has determined to, to have other policy reasons behind them, uh, those, those can't be discharged. Those can't be walked away from. Now, um, to determine non-dischargeability, you do need to retain an attorney who will represent you and make an argument, file a lawsuit within the bankruptcy case to argue to the bankruptcy court that your debt should be excluded from discharge or that all debts that the, bank that the bankruptcy debtor owes should be excluded from discharge because they weren't honest. And, uh, and that's something that I handle fairly routinely um, and it's something I help people with regularly. So uh, my firm, we, um, we recently in uh, 2019, uh, we successfully reorganized a, uh, a uh, and this kind of turns back to that first point. We helped a, a regional business successfully reorganize. It looked like uh, commercial liabilities related to ongoing litigation was going to cause that business to fold, and it would have caused ripple effects throughout western Alabama. It was an aquaculture business that processed catfish. Untold numbers of catfish farmers in eastern Mississippi and in western Alabama relied on that business for their living. But we were able to successfully reorganize the business and turn what was a net negative uh, line item on their balance sheet into a net positive while resolving the liability in the pending, previously pending uh, litigation. And so bankruptcy is a really powerful tool. It certainly shouldn't be taken lightly, but in situations where business owners come into unfortunate circumstances and it's difficult to deal with things, it's there's there the read the law exists for good reason and the stigma that is often attached to it um, should be discounted because it's it's certainly preferable to uh, to consult with an expert and try to maximize your opportunity for the future and, and on the other side it's important to be aware of the rules and the um, the the scenarios that arise in the insolvency situation so that you can protect yourself and maximize the probability of repayment. Great. So if, if people have questions uh, like what they hear and they want to reach out to you and talk to you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Christian Pareda, and you can reach me directly on my LinkedIn, or you can reach me by email at C as in Charlie, P as in Papa, E as in Echo, R as in Romeo, E as in Echo, Y as in Yankee, E as in Delta, A as in Alpha at MaynardCooper.com. That's my direct email address. Um, my firm is located in Birmingham, Alabama is our headquarters. We have offices around the country. Our practice is national. We represent creditors, trustees, indenture trustees, uh, committees, and uh, various plaintiffs and defendants and stakeholders in insolvency-related matters across the country. Great. Christian, I really appreciate your time today. I think that we got a, got a lot out of this. And if not anything, people understand that, that there is a way out. 
um, if they if they get in financial trouble. We appreciate that. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate the time. Great. This week, our guest was Christian Paeda, and he's the associate at Maynard, and he specializes in bankruptcy and restructuring. I'll see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>